What's up, everybody? Welcome to Study Hall, episode three. Thank you for coming back and listening to the podcast. I'm Trevor Denton. Just moved into a brand new house here in beautiful southern West Virginia. New new little surroundings for me. What's what's going on with you guys? Enough about me, Jordan. What's going on in Jordan world over there? Uh, Jordan world's good. You know, I'm still recovering from Thanksgiving last week. I will say I'm still eating some leftovers. Oh. I feel terrible for my you. guy jordan the mac oh. and cheese you know the my mom put her foot in it um still i still gotta eat that if she's still if she's putting her foot in it that's at least got to be eaten for a week week and a half maybe i love it we're on episode three we're already just tossing jokes that only the long time ep- episode listeners of episode one and two would catch on to a little easter egg for you but jimmy um can you believe it these guys suffered through a thanksgiving meal once and now now they're eating leftovers what's going on with that man what's going on with you though Oh, that's gross. As again, as the listeners would know, uh, we don't like Thanksgiving too. Um, but this is actually this is my dog Hallie. Uh, she's a great friend to have around the house. Uh, she's lovely. She's she kind of likes Thanksgiving food a little bit more than I do, but she's a bit on the wild side. Yeah, dude. But if you're gonna have your dog here on the show, he's got a cute dog for people that can't see. But if you're gonna have your dog on the show, like what's what's her hottest take? You know, she's got to bring it. She's gonna be on study hall. Certainly. Uh, she, believe it or not, huge Scottie Pippen fan. Thinks that for some reason he's like a top five all-time NBA player. Like every three months, she just brings it up. and is like, oh, Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen. And it's like, okay, let's calm down. Let's collect our thoughts. I know you don't mean it. You're just being passionate and in the moment. And that's fine. But Scottie Pippen just, you know, he's fine, but it's Scottie Pippen. It's a hot take. I'm bringing it so far. I don't mind it. Scotty Pippen in the news right now. That's timely. It's a timely take to have. I don't know if he's top three, top four, all-time teammate for sure. Maybe Hallie will be a good, good teammate today during the show. Dan, what's going on with you, man? Not much. Just constantly dealing with the, I don't know, four or five text messages a day I get from Jimmy talking about the new Tampa Bay Raptors. We don't care, Jimmy. It's not that big. No, we don't at all. Something we do care about though, USC football, kind of the crux of the show. So to speak, USC, uh, facing Washington State on Sunday. We'll get into all, all the mess that's going on with that USC football on a Sunday. Crazy stuff there. But let's start with the recruiting trail. Very, very eventful week um, for USC over there. Uh, first of all, they got they secured a commitment from, from Kyron Ware Hudson, a receiver, as if USC didn't have enough blue chip receivers. They got another one, stole him right away from Oregon. Dante Williams going to his old home. Um, and stealing a player from there. And then also the saga with Jake Garcia and Miller Moss. We kind of knew that maybe having two quarterbacks in this class wasn't going to last, especially two five stars. But now we know for sure Jake Garcia um, will be looking elsewhere, or at least we see it seems like he'll be looking at elsewhere, decommitted from USC. Uh, any takeaways from that? We'll start with you, Daniel, of this eventful week in recruiting for USC football. Uh, yeah, I think it, it really comes down to competition in general. Miller Moss, when he was coming in, he said that he loves competition. He wants to uh, compete against someone like Jay Garcia. He said that uh, when he was thinking about going to Alabama, he was very excited to compete against Bryce Young uh, when he uh, switched from us to, to Alabama. And I think that Jake Garcia might not want that competition. He's been struggling the past year now with coronavirus and everything to really get on the field. I think he just wants to play. He's done competing. He just wants to get out there and throw the ball. And I think that the University of Miami is a place where he's really interested. He had two, visit, uh, two visits there. 
their 13th ranked uh, recruiting class right now, adding him would even improve that more. In their 2021 recruiting class, they don't have a quarterback, so he could be the crown jewel for them. Jimmy, any thoughts? I know that, you know, a lot of us were really excited about Jake Garcia. Then Miller Moss came in uh, to the picture a little later, but I feel like USC fans, you sense a lot of disappointment because uh, he's been committed for, I think it was like two years, two or three years or something like that, committed for a long time. USC fans kind of thought for sure that he would be in the future, the guy succeeding Keaton Slovis. Now it's looking like Miller Moss. Are you okay with this? Is this a big letdown? What are you thinking, Jimmy? Uh, I think it's always, you know, a more dangerous situation to be in when you kind of have to look at, you know, one guy to more or less uh, carry on the future of the most important position on the field. But I think that this has kind of been in writing, you know, for, for a while, verbal commitments, as we all know, especially before someone's senior year are just basically worth absolutely nothing. Uh, it's really a game of they're not on your, your team or in your program until probably the point in which they hit the field for you. Um, I mean, lest, lest we go back to the dates of Brew McCoy and others who, really redefine what it means to commit to a college. Um, but, I mean, Jake Garcia has had a bit of a whirlwind year himself. He had those bouts with the coronavirus. He's been in Georgia, allowed to play, not allowed to play, uh, dealing with all of that. I mean, he's had so much going on that I, I think, honestly, USC has, in a football sense, not been the first thing on his mind by any, by any serious stretch. Um, but, I, I mean, there's not, to this point, a reason to be particularly – negative towards the the idea of having Miller Moss as our long-term option going forward. Uh, plus, I mean, there's still a lot of time to go before this, you know, class wraps up. So who's saying that we don't go out and get another quarterback? Um, so it, it's, you know, not the most welcome news, but nothing to necessarily cry over. Yeah, I think it's good to, good to have options, but I feel like it spelled trouble when Jake Garcia went down to Georgia because – um, you know, SEC programs, Alabama, all, the, all those type, they're already coming into California. Now he was right in, in, in their backyard and schools like Miami. I think Florida State's also in the mix, a couple other other teams. And it's pretty clear by the teams that are interested in right, him right now that he wants to play right away. And that became abundantly clear that that wasn't going to happen at USC, um, especially with having to compete. And also USC started recruiting the top quarterback in Utah. His name's slipping my mind right now. And that kind of uh, spelled trouble that indeed Jake Garcia, I feel like they've, they've expected it for a long time, but just overall, even without Jake Garcia, I think this, this class is shaping up to be really, really strong. They've got uh, some O-line prospects like Mason Murphy. They've got the receivers. Not that that's ever been an issue. They've got a couple of running backs. It seems like a well-rounded class um, and some uh, certainly a big turnaround from the one that ranked, I don't know, behind like Western Michigan, Ball State, Boise State last year, ranked like 159th or something. Definitely a turnaround from that. But uh, Jordan, um, what are you thinking about USC, the state of recruiting right now? Do you think this uh, is looking good for Clay Helton? I think it is. And this this was some nice, some nice tea to get last night to look on Twitter. And I mean, unfortunately, Jake Garcia did uh, decommit and he has some commitment issues. Jimmy talked about Scotty Pippen. We know Scotty Pippen's wife has some commitment issues as well. So just commitment yeah. is not the not the the name of the game in 2020, I guess, but um we still have Keaton for another another year and Miller Moss is is going to come in and wait in the wings hopefully but if you're Jake Garcia and you've been you've been you know committed to SC for so long and you wouldn't you want to come in and be able I mean yeah you won't play right away but you can play your second year wouldn't you want to come in and and try to win the starting job at a place like USC which is so close to where you're from I, I mean I think it's just kind of a weak move in his in his case unless he really just wanted to switch schools but I don't I don't really see how 
going to Miami unless he's going to play day one freshman year is better is going to be better for him in the long run. But I do like Miller Moss's tweet about saying how he he's got he's got the SC he's got Trojans he's got it he, he can take it from there. So I do like that A little shade, and I'm all I'm all for some shade on Twitter. Yeah, he's shown some leadership. I mean, Dante Williams, obviously USC's best recruiter, but Miller Moss might be second right now. He's been doing a lot of work on social media. Um, right now, for the for the listeners at home, uh, Jordan, he, he's done every podcast with his shirt off. Now Jimmy has got his shirt off. I'm and Jimmy's standing, to too. Jimmy's standing. Yeah. I will say, you know, just comparing your guys' bodies, you know, uh, Jimmy looking like uh, Tom Brady at the Combine. Jordan, a little better than that. More of a, I don't know. Not looking great. But, you know, you say 2020 is the year of commitment issues. I think we all thought Jimmy had commitment issues, but 2020 has a girlfriend. So, I don't know. People can change. People can change. Hopefully, Miller Moss is the is the player that changes USC into Pac-12's premier program right now. Any other takeaways, Dan? I feel like Dante Williams has been putting in work, kind of making a huge difference on this recruiting class. You have to love the work that he's done. The class is nothing without him. There's There's a lot to love going forward and I don't think losing a quarterback really affects that because yes quarterback competition is always great no one's going to say that they don't want to have quarterbacks competing because that leads to complacency even in college when these guys still have something to prove um but the the fact of the matter is the actual people who are stepping out onto the field this doesn't take away you're never going to be playing two quarterbacks so it's nice to kind of see that it's not going to hurt so much from that point of view yeah, and you say, you know, it's it's never a bad thing to have too many quarterbacks. I think it was for – as a Georgia fan, I think it was a bad thing for Georgia. They had too many guys to pick from. They had Jake Fromm, who led the team to a national championship appearance, and then Justin Fields coming in right behind. And when you have that sort of a tough choice, it's it allows you – it leaves room for you to be under the microscope and, and for people to pick apart your decisions. I think it's a little easier when you have someone like Miller Moss, who's shown that he is the leader of this recruiting class, actively recruiting guys, sort of became the face of that recruiting class. It's easier to put all your eggs in that basket – versus bringing both in and then maybe having one go to the transfer portal and then if he balls out at say Miami then you start looking bad I think sometimes it's just easier and more clear-cut to have one guy per class I, I, I don't know that's kind of where but, I'm at but, see what happened to Georgia but the, the thing that would have been nice is you know would have been some competition but injuries do happen as we saw with JT um what about a, a, a little over a year ago we saw with him get get injured and Keaton stepped in, and Keaton luckily was great. But you know, injuries happen all the time in football, and when Keaton got hurt, to only have like one yeah. proven quarterback behind him. Yeah, and I think uh, it, it's it's kind of interesting you said because I feel like I feel like a good strategy a lot of times is not to bring in two guys that are both five stars, uh, highly heralded guys because those guys want to play right away. I think a strategy that's worked really well for USC is you bring in the heralded guy like they did with uh, Ricky Town. I think it was. 2015 recruiting class was Ricky Town and then Sam Darnold who no one really caught on to until his senior year you bring in one guy that's heralded has the blue chip uh, profile and then one guy that's hungry and that also happened with Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels they brought in Keaton Slovis almost as a flyer as a guy to fill out the depth chart but he was hungry enough to take that starting job I think having that mix of blue chips and and, and three stars and four stars is good because the five stars they just want to play right away or they transfer you know mm-hmm. So maybe that's a Matt, maybe that's a strategy going forward, but we know for sure that Miller Moss still committed. Jake Garcia gone. Thought maybe USC's game next game uh, would be gone, but now they're playing uh, on Sunday. USC football on a Sunday. We just keep seeing unprecedented things this year. Jimmy, you're pumping your fist. Um, why do you like that? Why do you like USC playing on a Sunday? You know, no program really. 
I mean, statistically speaking, no program puts players on the field on Sundays quite like USC football. I mean, it is actually a really, really interesting recruiting tool, I'd say. I mean, most, you know, understandings of sports media say don't challenge the NFL on Sundays in the fall, but I think it will actually be an interesting way for USC to possibly get more eyes on their game than they usually would, uh, especially considering it's a, a rather uninspired Washington State team that they will be taking on on Sunday. Um, I think it, it does obviously mess with the, the, uh, the usual rest patterns, but considering that the fact that the team had their last game uh, delayed because or postponed because of COVID, um, it, it, it's hard to say that it will really come into effect in that way. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, we've already had a game this season that started at 9 a.m. Pacific. You know, it's, it's hard to really see a Sunday game as being anything much weirder. Yeah. I think uh, it's pretty interesting to see that we're going to be watching SC football on a late Sunday night or afternoon into the night. It starts about an hour before Sunday night football. And who's going to be watching Sunday night football? It's the Chiefs against the Broncos. We all know what's going to happen in that game. The Broncos have a quarterback or not. I think this is this week. We were robbed of it last week without Colorado. And I think, that, but this week is going to be the week that USC has to get things really in gear and show that, you know, they, they should be better than, than, tw- than the 20th team in the country. Um, like I said, it should have been last week, but this is the week. And I think they really need to prove themselves and have a very convincing uh, Sunday night game. Do you guys think that USC deserves their 20th ranking? Yeah, I wouldn't say any higher, any maybe a spot or two higher, but I think 20 is perfect because they have besides um, Utah, they haven't really played anyone great. Do we even know that Utah's great? Exactly. So that, that's that's what I'm saying. And we don't really know how good these other teams are. Yeah. And the wins haven't been that convincing. So I think 20, you have to give, you have to, I think you should rank them, but I don't think we're better than, you know, some of these other teams that are ranked higher than us. I object. I call BS mainly because the team right behind them, the Marshall Thundering Herd, a team that I've seen play live in person a lot this year. And I think they would absolutely dismantle uh, USC for sure. Just from what I've seen on them, they play clean football. They don't do a lot. They don't commit a lot of penalties. They play great defense, all things that USC can't do. I think they would implode against a Marshall team that's right there at, at 21. I think USC's benefited from the national exposure that they've gotten from that 9 a.m. game. Everybody's kind of been talking about USC a lot this year, even with this COVID stuff, they've kind of managed to get into the national kind of mainstream cycle of news. It helps to have an undefeated record, but I mean, I don't know how in any way they're above a Marshall team that's eight and zero when they're only three and zero. That makes no sense to me. And also, Marshall might have more quality of wins. They beat an Appalachian State team that was thirteen and one last year, um, was twenty fourth in the country, dropping some Conference USA knowledge on you guys. I've been saying that's what we need in this podcast is some more Conference USA talk. But I'll be there at the game. Marshall plays Rice tomorrow. Um, I'll be there bright and early at noon. That's way, uh, way, way early for me. Bright and early at noon. Yeah, it's bright and early for me. I'm gonna have to really get up and get on the road and travel to Huntington. But I just can't. I can't justify USC's ranking when I've seen a Marshall team play complete football for eight games. So uh, the only thing that I have to say is, if USC started the season unranked, we wouldn't be ranked right now. We we benefited from preseason rankings putting us in the conversation, and we haven't done anything catastrophic to remove us from that conversation they've also had like viral moments like i feel like that onside kick that whole sequence i feel like that kind of got everyone got got everyone kind of on the scent of what usc was and that helped them out a little bit i just feel like they've been in the conversation 
but the the combined record of teams that we've played so far, they they don't have a win. I I think that you guys make actually pretty interesting points, but at the same time, I think that there are some rather overrated teams, especially teams with multiple losses that are ahead of USC. So I think more or less in the aggregate, if you wanted to, you know, maybe bump up a, a Marshall or you know Louisiana or Tulsa, one of those, you know interesting teams uh in the rankings you'd also probably have to bump down a team like unc that has three losses this year and sure that's you know one of those is to notre dame but they've also lost you know florida state and i believe the other was virginia which is hardly something that you could consider particularly quality losses in a year like this um so I, i'd say that just as much as usc has benefited from the preseason rankings as you mentioned i think that other teams have probably benefited more and gotten more of the benefit of the doubt um that being said i mean it, at this point in the season, the the the, uh, the ceiling is pretty well set. Um, there, there's basically one game left on the schedule that matters for USC, and that's the Pac-12 championship. Um, at this, I mean, it it with the addition of maybe a win or two, I believe the the South will be locked up, and it seems like we're getting either Washington or Oregon coming down the pike uh, in the coming weeks. And that'll, that game will basically de- define our season uh, and whether or not USC makes a New York Six Bowl or gets something like a pretty interesting Texas matchup in the Alamo Bowl or something like that. Uh, neither of those are particularly bad options considering all the obstacles of this year. But, I mean, it, I, I'd say that in, in most senses, the, uh, the 20th ranking is mostly a non-starter in terms of well, any playoff I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned Louisiana Lafayette because, I mean, you can't even really make the argument, oh, they play in a crap conference. They beat Iowa State in week one. That's the number nine team in the nation. That's like the leading team in the Big 12 right now that they have a victory over. Um, so I don't think they – yeah, I don't think they fully deserve that, that, that record. But like you said, I mean, that's the ceiling. Is, is anything less than winning the Pac-12 title this year, is anything less than that just a complete and utter disappointment just to kind of wrap up this, this USC conversation? Absolutely. No, I, I, I disagree. I think especially when you consider that teams like Oregon came in with so much expectation in the season, I mean, really harping on it, Oregon was the, the great Western hope of the college football playoff uh, in most senses. I mean, in a, in a USC sense, of course, we should be at least competing for the Pac-12 championship, if not winning it and going to the Rose Bowl or the, you know, equivalent in a season like this. Um, of, of course, a, a team of our resource and, history should be doing that but all things considered in the pandemic year i think it's hard to be too upset if 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 they clocked in with a south division championship and an alma bowl birth i disagree with you completely jimmy i think that we're capable of beating an oregon if that's the team we end up playing uh in the pac-12 championship they just lost to oregon state by three points i think if we go out there and i know it's it's a big if but if we can play four quarters of good football and not fall behind and play more like we did against Utah, but even still clean up the issues there. I think there's a, a, a very strong possibility uh, that we end up winning the Pac-12 championship. And I think that that is what we're going for. Uh, a prestigious program like USC should be in that conversation every year. And every other team deals with other, with the, the coronavirus stuff also. So we don't have that excuse. It's not like we're playing against teams that aren't going through the same things as us. That's, that's the bar we should be trying to get there. It's gotta be Pac-12 or bust. I agree with Dan hundred percent. We need to get there. I do think we can beat Oregon. If, if we, like you, like Dan said, play four quarters of, of good football, complete football. I think we can beat them. Um, we have to, we have to get there first. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't. And it starts with Washington state on Sunday. 
Yeah, I'm with you guys, but I think the team's going to be Washington. I, I don't think Oregon, we're going to have to worry about them because I don't think they're going to make the Pac-12 title. They just haven't looked complete, especially offensively. They have talented players, but they haven't put it together. What's, have we ever figured out how you say that 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 quarterback's name? Is it Shu? Shug? Shug? Shug. Shug. It's like a G at the very end, like five seconds later. I don't know. Maybe it's French. I don't it's know. A that delayed sucks, G. It's a delayed G. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe it's Oregon State. What are they? Are they are, are they two and one? Or I, I don't know, man. That Jamar Jefferson kid is pretty amazing running back for them. So I don't know who we're going to face. I have a feeling it's going to be Washington. Um, they seem to be the most fundamentally sound, complete team so far in the Pac-12. Haven't really had as many hiccups as anyone else. So we'll see what happens with USC against Washington State. Real quick, any any score predictions for, for this Sunday's game? Start with you, Jimmy. Uh, I would say something along the lines of a – 32 26 kind of kind of output I, I would hope to see some scoregami i know that's not really tracked to my knowledge for college football but i would love to see a scoregami pac-12 sunday football result so a, so a close one how do you how do you see that going do you see it kind of like a usc taking a big lead and then it eroding or do you see it kind of being close the whole way i mean big leads can erode if every single score is a safety and i expect every single score to be a safety Okay. All right. Yeah, that's possible. Some bad snaps maybe in the end zone. I don't know. All right. I like it. Dan, any score predictions? I think I'm going to go about 27-20 Trojans. So you guys all think it's going to be close. Yeah, I don't think this – I don't think we're at the point yet where I can go and predict that USC is going to really manhandle the team and go out there and win by double digits. I know last week – or two weeks ago, I guess, with Utah – a little bit of a nicer indication but after the first two games it's too hard to just go out there and say that i think this team is going to dominate really anyone yeah i'm going to go the other way i, I think they do actually dominate i think if they can uh pound a team like utah then then they could do the same to washington state i think the talent's going to be too much i think they win like uh i don't know 34 to 20 i, I definitely think it's a two score game how about you jordan i'm gonna say i'm gonna agree with you trev and i think it will be blowout i'm going 37 to 17 all right. Any safeties in that one? All safeties in that no, one? Too? No safeties. No, no Jimmy safety. can have all the safeties. All right. So not sure if we'll see any any safeties, any two-point plays in the USC Washington State game, but we are going to take a quick two-minute break here, play some copyright-free elevator music. Dan at one point asked me what my favorite elevator music was, and I thought that was the most unbelievable question I've ever gotten. Like, if elevator music you remember and you have a favorite, like it kind of defeats the whole purpose of elevator music. Anyways, we're going to play some elevator music, maybe my favorite, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Daniel Halpern. Alongside me, Trevor, Jimmy, Jordan. And we today are going to do a little bit of contender pretender. We're going to bring up a couple NFL teams. And we're going to say if we believe that they are truly contenders for the Super Bowl or just mere pretenders. We're going to start with Jimmy now because he is the team that is at the top of the mountain. The Pittsburgh Steelers 11-0 right now, undefeated. Jimmy, take it away. Here we go. By the way, I got to be careful when I retweet this, when you, when, you, when, you, when you crap all over the Steelers. West Virginia people, they love their Steelers, man. I might have to start defending them, but go ahead. I understand the, uh, the West Virginia allegiance as well, but you know, don't forget that the eastern part of the state a little bit does have a bit of Ravens love to them. Uh, but the, the Pittsburgh Steelers 
are without a doubt one of the biggest fraudulent teams in recent NFL memory. And and here's why. Pittsburgh Steelers went up against Robert Griffin III, who injured himself, of course, on a non-contact injury, running away from people out of bounds. Then they got traced sexually, and they won the game by five points. Very legitimately, the players on that team would be about a 50 or a 60 overall each on Madden for those who like to play 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 with the uh, the ponies out there. They were basically creative player uh, individuals, and with the exception of like the DB core and the linebackers, pretty much everyone had the same general pedigree of football backgrounds. This is a team without a training MVP. This is a team without two running backs. This is a team without its top pass catcher at tight end. This is a team without already its all-world left tackle. This is a team that didn't have either of their two centers that were on their roster. So you're you're talking about a team that's already decimated, and that's just on the offensive side of the ball. They're missing Calais Campbell. They're missing Brandon Williams. They're missing Tavon Young. This is a team that's completely decimated, and the Steelers can only beat them by five points? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and this goes in line, if you look going down – Going down the line, the Steelers' uh, schedule this year, it's really not been very impressive. This is a team that basically has two quality wins, one over the Browns, who we can have a whole other discussion and might actually have a whole other discussion about the Browns and their merits. And they have have a a decent three-point win over the Titans, who I think are very good. But beyond that, it's teams like the Texans. It's those NFC East wins. Like, they barely beat the Cowboys. I believe that was a Danucci game, unless I'm wrong. Or maybe that was the – the Garrett Gilbert game. Um, this is a team that just continually fails to live up to the expectations of a team that is 11 and 0. Uh, and like as a Ravens fan, I can say personally that it, it reminds me a lot of where the Ravens were last year, except the difference was that the Ravens were a little bit more, you know, dominant and actually rose to the pedigree of the 14 and two team that they were, but nothing would surprise me less than the Steelers get, getting bounced in their first game against a Titans or a Bills or a Chiefs, depending on how those kind of cards, you know, play out. Uh, I, I think that they are legitimately at best the fourth best team in the AFC. Jordan, what do you think about that? The Steelers, one of my closest friends is a huge Steelers fan, and he always tells us about, oh, you see the Steelers. I'm like, yeah, we saw them. They beat a bunch of nobodies. And, you know, uh, whenever that game – when, the Wednesday game uh, against the Ravens, whenever that game was played at two o'clock or three o'clock, um, I just wasn't that impressed, and I haven't been overly impressed throughout the throughout the year. They've had some dominant some dominant performances here and there, but I just don't. It's, it's dominant it's, performances it's, against bad teams, though. It's it's a it's a weird eleven. And, are they eleven zero or twelve and zero at this point? Eleven and zero. It's a weird eleven and zero. I I don't have a lot. Like it's not like they're eleven and zero and they're considered the first or even the second or maybe even the third best team in the league, you know, they have the best record. Um, and I said it before, before the show, but I think they're probably going to end up being the, the Ravens of last year's playoffs losing in, in their first available game. Cause it looks like they're probably going to get um, that first round by and whoever they end up playing that, that seven, I think it'd be the, the seventh seed, whoever they end up playing, I think could probably shock them if they don't come out as sharp as they have been. Um, but for my contender pretender, I'm going with the Rams just because the Rams are they're a flashy team, you know, the way they the way they kind of run their offense, a lot of play action. They they beat the Seahawks, their division rival. They beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. But then they lose to the Dolphins four weeks ago and put up 20 points against the 49ers 
and lost uh, last week, and they lost to 49ers earlier in the season. Um, and I'm just really confused on what kind of team this is. They they don't have Gurley anymore, so they rely a lot more on Goff, and I think that's where you're going to go wrong is Goff is going to give you one or two gaudy number performances a year where he's throwing for 403 touchdowns and like 60 to 70% uh, completion percentage. But then for the rest of it, you're going to get pick sixes. You're going to get a guy who can't read the defense, and that's that when you rely too much on a barely above average quarterback like we've seen with the Rams and with the Eagles as well, it's not going to translate to really a lot of quality wins or a lot of confidence in from your fan base and just from pundits who talk about the NFL. But you're putting too much stake in, in just one player and outside of a quarterback, even maybe even including quarterbacks, the most dominant player in the NFL is Aaron Donald. I don't think anyone yeah. is going to argue that. And I think that late in uh, late in December, or in January, especially this team isn't going to be getting any home playoff games. At least I don't think so. Uh, there's going to be dominant defense that's controlling the line, not allowing teams to run on you in the cold. And there's still one of the best passing attacks receiver wise in the NFL. You have Cooper cup, you have Robert Woods. They're a dynamic duo that doesn't get enough talk about them. Robert Woods, old SC guy. He's having a great season and he's never in the conversation for one of the best receivers in the league. I think that this team does have what it takes to make another later playoff push. And another reason is because they're running backs. They have a running back by committee. Uh, none of these guys have a lot of mileage on them and they're going to be ready to go when it gets to the playoff time. I'm just saying because of, because of the loss and the recent losses and wins they have, I just can't put them as a contender yet when, yeah, the Seahawks are good. Okay. Whatever, but they can't play defense. You lose, you lose, or you, you beat them. You beat, you beat Tom Brady and the Bucks, but then you lose the Dolphins. You lose the Niners twice this year. And the first time they lost to the Niners was when the Niners are the most injured team in football. So I, I just can't get a great read on them. These last five weeks are going to be huge for them, but I'm not sold on them yet. I'm with you, Jordan. I'm totally with you. I, I think that loss to the Dolphins was the most concerning because they employed with Brian Flores, former Belichick assistant, they employed the same strategy that Belichick used against McVay um, in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, and that's just blitzed the crap out of Jared Goff. He has no ability to make plays off schedule. He needs a perfectly clean pocket. to get. I, I have nothing against those receivers or running backs. They have great skill players. I think Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. I think Cooper Cup, even Devontae Adams said that he's one of the best route runners in the league. I mean, it's hard to hard to get a much better endorsement than that. One of the best receivers in the league. So they have the right core, but I think as long as Jared Goff's there, um, they're a pretender at some point with the genius of McVay and the offensive weapons they have and Aaron Donald, who's not getting any younger by the way, starting to get on the wrong side of 30. I think they're going to have to make the call to move away from Jared Goff because that Dolphins game showed, I mean, Tua Tungavailoa on the other side, he threw for 93 yards. He had like 16 pass attempts, 12 completions in that game. Um, and they still dominated. They won by double digits just because Jared Goff couldn't stop putting the ball on the ground. He gets very confused easily. And I feel like he's starting to get that point along with Wentz where you can't chalk it up to just young quarterback mistakes anymore. It's starting to become a pattern. And I feel like there's an innate ability to make plays off schedule that guys like Mahomes have. Um, even a Brady had back in the day um, to make plays when things get break down and be improvisational that Jared Goff um, simply, simply doesn't have. But a team that I think 
that is a contender that actually lost to the Steelers, the team that Jimmy was talking about, um, is the Titans. I think they're legit. I think the reason why they're legit is because, as we know, in the playoffs, you have to grind out wins. Nothing really comes easily. That's what the Titans have done all year long. They've won six games um, by one score. They've been dominant in one-score games. Sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but they've had dominating results in one-score games. And then I think the X factor of Derrick Henry um, is a player, you know, carried them to a win over the Ravens last year. I don't think anyone has proven they can stop him. Like five years in the league, still no one can really find the recipe to hold him down. So I think the Titans are, are a very legit team that a lot of people are, are knocking. <laughs> people still don't seem to believe in Mike Vrabel or, or, or Ryan Tannehill, but I, I'm believing because I think this is a team that can grind out wins, control the clock, um, um, and, and make some noise in the playoffs, maybe make it to another AFC championship. I completely agree. Um, again, personal victim of the uh, the Tennessee Titans, but I, I think that they are yeah, actually – I like to remind you of it all the time when you send freaking SEC Championship 2018 memes. <laughs> well, the sad thing, Trevor, is that you are a Georgia sports fan, so your pain could never outmatch mine, and you can never hurt me as much as I can hurt you. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, the Titans are a legitimately strong team. I, I, I think what excites me about them most is just they're kind of like top to bottom, um, just skill level. I mean, they, they can beat you in so many different ways, which I think is is really entertaining and really dangerous for most teams. And I, I think if you're looking, you know, it, when you think about the AFC, I, at one point it was the, the Patriots killer. Now I think it's the Chiefs killer. Um, and they, they did, I mean, obviously they lost them last year, but I, I would take them, uh, over probably the bills and Steelers in terms of being able to get that done and make a, make a trip to the Super Bowl after going to the AFC championship last year. King Henry. And I'm going to go pick up right where Jordan just, uh, shouted his name. Derrick Henry is that running back who is as fresh on his 300th carry as he is on his first carry. He will not get tired. He is someone who, especially out in the cold in December and early January, will be able to run over people and it will not stop. The defense is good enough to get it done in the playoffs. And Ryan Tannehill is maybe one of the most underrated like slight above game manager quarterbacks in football that we've seen in a while. He gets the job done. AJ Brown, everything's clicking there. And a team though, it's not so cut and dry has to be the Cleveland Browns. Whoever knows it's hard to ever say that this team is a contender after what we've seen the past two decades from them, but they have a surprisingly good eight and three record good for second in the AFC North. Uh, they have losses to a, a pretty decent, if not good Baltimore team. Uh, <laughs> they they've lost to the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers and they lost to Vegas. Who's been playing pretty good so far this year even though the past couple of games they're trending down a little bit uh i'm not sold on them yet even though that right now they would be uh I, the five seed possibly the six seed uh they have a decent uh end to their schedule where they might rack up a couple wins they have the jets and the giants uh two easy wins for them there i, I just think that even though they have Nick Chubb, who's going to be able to run the ball and Kareem Hunt, which is a perfect combination for, as I'm talking about running backs who can get it done in the playoffs in the cold. Those are two guys who I would maybe want more than anyone else in the league as a duo at running back. Uh, but Baker Mayfield, can he get it done? And just over and over again, Jordan shakes his head. And I agree. 
who can trust Baker Mayfield, especially when it's time to step up into the uh, into the big games. But what do you guys think? Do you think that the Browns are contenders or pretenders? I saw Baker in their last game. I saw him miss wide. I think in the same drive in the red zone, miss wide open receivers for touchdowns. One one was ridiculous. Uh, uh, Higgins was so wide open, and I was like, how how do you miss that? And you just can't have you just can't miss those type of throws if you want to be a successful quarterback in the playoffs. They'll make the playoffs. Good for them. Great for them. Ending a long playoff drought. Depending on their matchup, they can they can win a game. I think it really it's really matchup dependent. But they're not striking fear in anyone's eyes. I I, I think any of the top teams, if you're looking at the Bills, if you're looking at the Steelers or the Chiefs, I wouldn't be that scared of them or the Titans. Um, but they can probably win a game. And I think that goes a long way for the Browns fan base because they have lost so much over these past 10, 12 years and haven't had really any success at all. And this is without o- um, OBJ. So I think a, a playoff berth and a playoff win would just would be enough for them this year to build off of. Certainly would make Cleveland fans happy. I, I think defenses are scared of Nick Chubb, and I think they are scared of Jarvis Landry. I think he's had an underrated role in making Baker look a lot better than he than he really is. I don't even think he's looked that great. But um, in their last game, Jarvis Landry caught a lot of passes that like most receivers wouldn't catch, boosting Baker Mayfield's stats. And I, I do think he's a liability. But I think it's kind of like a similar thing with the Titans. Um, they could maybe win one or two playoff games if you just get Nick Chubb rolling for like 170, 180, because no one seemed to be able to be able to stop him this year. So, so, so I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not, I'm not writing them out of the playoffs completely. I think they could win one or two games off the strength of that backfield alone. And then Baker Mayfield, really, he just needs to make those play action throws. Like if he can just focus in a little more, uh, be a little more accurate than he has in past weeks, he doesn't have to do a lot. He doesn't ever have to throw for 300 yards with the offensive line and running back combinations they have going right now. Well, Nick Chubb, it's funny you say that. I was talking to my mom the other day. I was just talking about my fantasy football team because not many people will listen to me, but I always have my mom. I know she will listen to my ramblings no matter what. And she said, Nick Chubb, that's a pretty funny name. We have some more funny names coming up for you right after the break. Stick around. All right, everyone, we're back with Study Hall Episode 3. And during a commercial break, actually, last week, we were watching the end of the Oregon-Oregon State game. It got us thinking, you know, about Jaquiz Rogers, Oregon State legend, and some of the great names that we've heard of in the NFL and college football. And that kind of inspired me to have a little uh, NFL name draft. So we're going to draft what we think are the best names in football history. Could be funny, could be intimidating. I know there's a player named John Connor, literally the Terminator at one point. Maybe you could go that route. Maybe you could go the Juju Smith-Schuster route. I don't want to spoil anything more, but we're going to go three rounds. So each of us are going to pick three players based on the best names. Maybe afterwards we could decide the best team. I'm going to go in order of, of how much I like you guys. So obviously, naturally, we all know the order would be Jordan, Daniel, and and Jimmy. So let's go ahead and, and start. And then me last, obviously, obviously. So we're going to start with you, Jordan. Uh, we're going to go quickly through this, but who is your first pick in the football all time name draft? Go. You're on the clock. I think I'm going to start with uh, a linebacker from Ohio state, tough Borland there. It doesn't get tougher than tough Borland really going to set the tone for this, uh, this name team. He's a linebacker, one of the toughest positions in football. And his name is Tough, T-U-F. I wish it was spelled differently, but I'll take that. Jordan, what was your guy's name one more time? 
Tough Borland. T. You want to know what the antithesis of that guy's name is? Guy Wimper. Guy Wimper, an offensive lineman who has quite possibly the worst name for a football player. You don't want to be a guy who's whimpering in a locker room. I'm going to just leave it at that. Jimmy, who do you got? Uh, So I don't want to win the draft right from the start. Uh, But if I lost the rights to pick this name, I would be sorry with myself. I'm going to go with former Ravens tight end Philip Supernaw. Um, it is really unfortunate that he did not play a defensive position, uh, or at least offensive line. Uh, but to tell your opponents super naw, uh, I mean, it, it really can hurt. I, I don't even know if I have to explain that. Um, he was a he was a hero for me. Speaking of heroes for me and stuff that you don't have to explain, LeGarrette Blunt became a hero in my life the second he decked in a, a Boise State player like Jake Paul decked Nate Robinson this past weekend. Um, one of the greatest moments in football history and one of the greatest names in football history. I mean, I don't even have to explain the blunt part, making it even better. He literally got suspended for blunts during his time with the Steelers. I mean, that's just pure poetry in motion right there. But the LeGarrett part, I mean, taking a Caucasian name like Garrett, I mean, we all know a Garrett, your typical frat boy, and adding la at the beginning and then creating the beautiful symphony of sounds that is LeGarrett Blunt, and then combining that with his personality and the traits that he had, I mean, that's just pure bliss. I think I'm already winning this, but let's go to the second round. Jordan, who are you going to follow up with Tough Borland? I'm following up with Tank Bigsby, running back for Auburn. In 10 years, when your kid comes to you and says, Dad, I've been getting bullied, and you say, son, what's his name? The first thing that's going to come to your head is Tank Bigsby. I just imagine a guy with a buzz cut who probably is in in junior ROTC, a big guy, (laughs) a tank, and he plays running back too, runs people over. Tank Bigsby is a perfect name for his position. That's my number two pick. Well, I didn't think this guy was still going to be around. Uh, I actually just changed up my draft board entirely. How did you guys let Debrickishaw Ferguson slip to the middle of the second round? Uh, Debrickishaw. It's like DK Metcalf. It's like DK Metcalf in the second round is what that second round pick for you is like. Debrickishaw Ferguson not only is a fantastic name, but also a great player. Three Pro Bowls to his name, offensive tackle for the New York Jets. That's a horrible team. Uh, Love Debrickishaw Ferguson with my second pick. That's all fun and, and games for you, uh, Daniel. But I'd actually like to go for a cor- current cornerback for, I believe, the Carolina Panthers, Corn Elder. Corn Elder. <laughs> uh, it's always, you know, you always love a good name that really just kind of perks your ears up. You know, maybe it's a four o'clock game. It's something like, I don't know, Panthers, Vikings. Uh, both teams are bad and you're not really watching or paying attention. You're just kind of following along your fantasy team. And then suddenly they're like, oh, a nice tackle by Corn Elder. You just have to wonder how that person doesn't suddenly become a leader in any room that he steps into. He's the Corn Elder. Oh, it's amazing. It stands on its own. It's like there's a whole story there. And there's a big story in this name that I have coming up. Another guy that caught my attention for Alabama. In 2014, for one season, Alabama had a defensive tackle literally named D-Liner. That was his name, was D-Liner. I mean, what? Need I say more? It was like he was born for that exact precise moment 
to be a defensive lineman. He ended up playing in the NFL for a couple years, but his name, literally D-E-E and then Liner was his birth name. Are, are you joking me? D-Liner, beautiful. Jordan, third round pick, uh, final final round coming up. My last guy, he's a he was a cornerback uh, with, with Hawaii, didn't get drafted, got picked up by the Falcons, got dropped. Rogesterman Ferris II. <laughs> and fr- from born in Michigan, but his dad, Rogesterman Ferris Sr., guess what state he was from? What state has the craziest things? Florida. Florida. He's, he's a Florida <laughs> man. Rogesterman Ferris II. Rogesterman. Row for short. Just row for short, but I'm sure he gets asked what his full name is all the time. Well, with my final pick, Jake Butt, the tight end for the Broncos, who's been hurt for most of his career. However, we don't care about the on-field production. We only care about the name. And there is no name more perfect for a tight end than Butt on the back of the jersey. All right, Jimmy, what's your last pick before Mr. I go with Mr. Irrelevant? Dick Buttkiss. Oh, it's like the goat right there. That's it. Jimmy, Jimmy stepped away from the mic. Maybe. All right. I, I, I can't one-up Dick Buckus. I mean, that's a classic name, but I'm going to go with Cowboys rookie Hercules Mata'afa. Are you joking me? I mean, that's that's a mouthful. Some honorable mentions. Uh, Young Hui Ku, I thought about. TJ Hushmanzada, I thought about extensively. Um, DeForest Buckner, another hilarious name, kind of in the mold of LeGarrette Blunt and another Oregon guy. Well, that's all the time we have for this podcast. Hope you enjoyed the name draft. And I don't know if we have a comment section or whatever, but maybe send us some of your own, your own favorite NFL names uh, to the podcast. And uh, that's all we have for episode three. We'll be back next week with more.